father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Golem here. Fair warning, the first few minutes of this podcast episode has very bad audio quality. The stupid fat hobbitses still can't figure out how to use the microphone they bought over a year ago. Unbelievable. Blah, we hate them forever. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Joanna. Scotland. Now that I've got your attention, I want to talk about Scotland. <laughs> Tell me more, lassie! Well, it seems I that... need to move the microphone away from my voice if I'm going to be this loud. Boy, oh boy. I cannot believe how loud I was. Shrek's got a set of lungs on him. <laughs> well, Amazon is going to be filming its one billion pound Lord of the Rings TV series in Scotland, evidently. That's awfully heavy. Yeah, so... Ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Oh, Scottish humor. So, production staff from Amazon have so far checked out the following places in Scotland, none of which I'm entirely clear on where they are because I'm incredibly ignorant of foreign geography, but here we go. The Isle of Skye, Dunsky Castle, and Port Patrick, as well as Scoury, Calendar, Balak Castle Country Park, and Loch Lomond. Those all sound like magical places to visit and see a Lord of the Rings be filmed. But none of them are in your swamp. Donkey. Donkey, I have a sign that says, keep out of me swamp. And that means you, Gollum. Ha! I'll go in the swamp if he wants to. Who knew that Gollum and... Shrek would be beefing on our podcast. We're both CGI characters from the early 2000s. Of course we have a beef. Well, we're going to have to set that beef aside for right now, because yeah. that's the end of what I have to say about Scotland, unfortunately. Very good. Um, the series is set to be released probably by 2021. 2021. Yeah, so, I mean, looking at these pictures, it looks really pretty. It looks like... Looks Lord of the rings is. I mean, Is it you know, compared to New Zealand? I mean, I'm not going to compare the scenic beauty of two entirely different countries and two entirely different uh, hemispheres. Well, we both have a lot of sheep. Yeah, we do. We have a lot of sheep here in New Zealand. That's all you said you fall back on is the Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. Oh, we lost a sheep. Crikey, a lot of sheep here. That's true. Alright, thanks for that news. That's interesting. That, I mean, I'm surprised I don't do New Zealand, but Scotland sounds great. I mean, Scotland must have given them a better deal. Must have been less yeah, expensive. definitely. So. so, big news in Star Wars. Coming down the horn. Big news. Elon Musk apparently visited the set of the Star Wars Mandalorian show. Oh my god. I don't care. Why is anything Elon Musk does relevant, let alone going to visit the scene of a television show filming? I don't care. I don't care where he goes or what he does. I don't care about how he chooses to live his life. I don't care how much weed he does with his girlfriend Grimes. I don't care. Well, you don't care yet. Let me tell you more. 
South African engineer Elon Musk has apparently taken a detour to a galaxy far, far away. A curiosity posted by Musk to his Twitter and a set image shared by The Mandalorian indicate that Musk spent time on the set, potentially opening the door for a potential cameo. Ew, I don't want him in there. I don't want him in this world. So if you can't see the photo, it's a picture of Musk carrying a large prop blaster and pointing toward the camera. And the caption is, host meme review? How high do you think he was in that picture? Oh, I'm very high. Can he's I, super into drugs I want now. to pick this up and show Grimes that I picked up this big gun. And I, stood- <laughs> I seriously think he and Grimes broke up like six months ago and we still talk about her all the time. She's like a, a beautiful little weed cloud that follows me everywhere. I'm Elon Musk. I truly don't know who this news story is for. Here's me and John Favreau discussing hyperdrive technology on set. Cool, whatever, like... Who cares and then we blazed he... it for I'm 20. Sure I'm sure they did. And we hotboxed inside of a Mandalorian <gasps> helmet. 420 is the weed number. <laughs> I, I know, just learned that. I don't know how he talks. I think he's like, his accent's super weird. He's just like South African, but also got like that um that Afrikaans kind of like, you know, like the Dutch sort of, you know, like the, you know what I'm talking about? I, I kind of know what you're talking about, but I've never once heard his voice because I don't want to. It's kind of weird. And in the back of his throat, he's... Who cares about um, this story? It's pretty cool. Do you care about this news story? Like, who are they reporting this But for? this is not the first time John Favreau and Elon Musk have worked together. No, no, no. In Iron Man 2, Musk casually discusses a proposal for an experimental electric run jet with Tony Stark before he goes off to the races. He's already had a cameo in a John Favreau production. Wait, really? I forgot about that. I don't think I ever knew about that. So yeah, look forward to that in The Mandalorian. I'm glad Elon Musk used all his rich people money to go hang out on a movie set. Like he's so important. You mean his name already sounds like a Star Wars character, so it's perfect. (laughs) That's fair. Doesn't it? (laughs) That is fair. But in every other way, he uh, he is entirely unfit. For Star Wars or public consumption. But he's epic science for the win. I don't care. I love I don't to care. do weed, Is it too. like his fanboys? Is there a lot of crossover between Star Wars fans and like Elon Musk fanboys? It's a circle, Joanna. Except for me. I'm on the little, on the outside. Oh, wow. I'm educated. So unique. I'm educated. What a cool iconoclastic guy. So that's the big news. I mean, you search Star Wars and that's the first thing that comes up underneath like 20 articles about, well, here's what the title of episode 9 could be. So, you know. Probably the most important news. Cool. Well, thank you for telling me that news that inexplicably made me upset. <laughs> Look forward to Elon Musk as himself, the Star Wars character Elon Musk in The Mandalorian, the Star Wars show, coming soon to a TV near you. I'm not looking forward to it. All right. Well, Joanna, I think I know what you're talking about today. Oh, do you? Well, do you? Are there... you psychic now, suddenly? Well, considering I edited the first episode of this part <laughs> that you did, it was called Part 1, you told me, and this must be Part 2. What if part one was just part one of one? Then that would be truly twisted. That's right. I'm a twisted effing psychopath. No, this is part two of the Treason of Isengard. Let's talk about it. Okay. All right, so- The trees are in Isengard? The tree- well, the tree- yes. The treason of Isengard and also the trees are in Isengard. It's a play on words. I see, okay. I think Christopher Tolkien intended that. All right, good. Yeah. I mean, there's ants all around, right? Yeah. Um, In case you've forgotten, so when we last left off, Gandalf had fought a wind-sprinting man-sized Balrog with flowing hair. Yeah, I hated it. And he had been lassoed into the abyss. Lassoed? Lassoed? Whatever. Lassoed. 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 Lassoed into the abyss. We now resume with a chapter called The Story Foreseen from Moria. In this chapter, Christopher Tolkien provides a plot sketch that a daddy wrote possibly in August 1939. Now, some points of interest about this plot sketch. 
Having left Moria, the Fellowship travels to Lothlorien and stays in an elven kingdom there. And this kingdom is called Karas Galaton in the published version of Lord of the Rings, but in this plot sketch, it's called Angle. So, uh, Frodo at this point feels it's his duty to go straight to Mount Doom, preferably alone, but both Boromir and Aragorn are really keen on going to Minas Tirith. As in the published version of The Lord of the Rings, Boromir tries to take the ring from Frodo, but Frodo runs off. In searching for his master, Sam sees Gollum and decides to follow him. Gollum leads him to Frodo, and Sam and Frodo join forces to overpower Gollum. At this point, Tolkien goes directly into all the Mordor stuff. So unlike in the published version of the book, Gollum shows very little moral ambivalence and basically intends to betray Frodo every step of the way. And when he finally does betray Frodo, Frodo and Sam beat the hell out of him and he goes and tells them to the Nazgul, who, by the way, have now taken the form of demonic eagles. Whoa, hold on. Yes. You buried the lead there. Demonic eagles? So they have turned into demonic eagles and or they're just riding on vultures. One or the other. Well, they do have those. Six of one, half dozen of the other, really. They have those fell beasts, right? Yeah, it's not fell beasts here. It's vultures. But they're, they are the vultures? No, okay, so either they are demonic eagles, or they are riding on vultures. No riding on eagles and no turning into vultures, that's right out. So they either turn into demonic eagles, or they ride on vultures. Those did, are the only two viable options. Did J.R.R. specify that? I mean, those are the only two options he mentioned, so okay, I'm assuming. Okay. Now, the vultures try to attack Frodo and Sam at Mount Doom, but Sam kicks their asses, grabs Gollum, who has stolen the ring from Frodo, and throws both himself and Gollum into Mount Doom. So Sam dies. Oh, no. Which is extremely offensive to me. I mean, that's a pretty heroic ending, I guess, going into a volcano, but like... Tolkien felt like Sam had to die for some reason. He felt like that was like the logical end point. There's also a point later on where he feels like Pippin has to die, so he just feels like someone has to die, but he doesn't know who. Also, possibly, Frodo gets a sword from somewhere, and after the ring is destroyed, he holds the sword aloft and commands the ring wraiths to be gone, and they vanish like wisps of smoke with a terrible wail, because Frodo can do those things. Is it not Sting? It's just a sword. Maybe it's Sting. Is Sting not in this version? Or maybe it's just a sword. Oh. He just gets a sword. Is it like a fell sword? I don't know, it's just a sword. It's just a sword. It just says he gets a sword. Now that he's destroyed the ring, apparently that gives him commandership over the ring wraiths, even though that doesn't really make a lot of logical sense. It's just a sword. But he holds it aloft, and they be gone. Because he says, be gone. It's just a sword. Yeah, he just gets a sword. I mean, Frodo... At this point in the story, shouldn't he be all, like, all weak and, like, corrupted and, like, going all dark-sided and talking like a frog? No, not once the ring is destroyed. So immediately after, he just, like, snaps out of it? He just snaps out of it, and he holds a sword aloft, and he says, be gone. And they be gone. Wow, okay. Yeah. So imagine he's, like, yeah, like, Sam dives into a volcano. It's just just a possibility. We don't have to do it. And then he just, like, imagine just, like, getting, like, Popeye eating the spinach, and he's like, yes, be gone! (laughs) All of a sudden, he gets, like, this little weak, like, I'm a little froggy man. I I mean, this is just what Tolkien wrote. It's just an idea. We don't have to do it. But I'm glad he didn't. This is stupid. But wait, but wait, Tolkien says, because maybe that's not what happens. Oh. Maybe Sam wakes up one night and sees Gollum chanting incantations of sleep over Frodo, or possibly a, quote, spider charm. Wait, he can do spells? He can do spider charms. Spider charms? <laughs> That's what it says. Who is he, Lola Montez? <laughs> That's what I was thinking the entire time. <laughs> Actually, can we play Lola Montez for a second here? Feel the fire where she walks. Lola Montez, so beautiful. Shady in the temper, dim. Blinding your eyes with a spider. 
used by the band Volbeat. They're really bad. And they have a song called Lola Montez. I actually unironically really like Lola Montez. I mean, like, a little bit ironically. But <laughs> so there's Gollum doing his spider dance. Yeah. Uh, so the spiders come out and they put a spell of sleep on Frodo. And though Sam manages to drive them off, he cannot wake his master. Gollum acts a little bitch and tells on Sam and Frodo to the nearby orc guard. They come and take Frodo, but Sam fortunately manages to get the ring. And you'll recognize this as a very early version of Shelob's lair and Frodo's captivity in Baradur. I mean, Gollum's just a freaking snitch in this version. He is a total snitch. Total he's mark. Telling, he's telling on everybody to everybody and also doing a spider dance. Anyway, let's put that aside for a minute because Jert's got another idea. Jert, what you got? After Frodo and Sam go missing, Merry and Pippin get distracted and start following mysterious echoes to a place called, eyebrow raisingly enough, the Topless Forest. Tolkien. And here they meet Treebeard, who presumably is some kind of swinger who hates wearing shirts. <laughs> and also, like, listen, Gimli get captured by Saruman, and also Aragorn and Boromir take a road trip together to Minas Tirith. Aragorn does such a good job defending Minas Tirith from Sauron's forces that he gets elected king, which I don't actually think is how monarchies work, but anyway. Wait, so Boromir's still alive in this version? He is. He is. He doesn't die he's in a, these early he's versions. Actually, there's like a lot of different drafts where he is still alive. Huh, okay. Uh, Boromir gets so jealous that he slinks off to get Saruman's help in becoming the Lord of Minas Tirith. Oh, this is maybe where he turns, huh? By the way, how did Gandalf survive the fall in Moria? A parachute. Well, no, it turns out that what looked like a bottomless chasm was just a shallow moat filled with silent water. That's a little less interesting. So he gets out, slaps on some mithril, and fights his way out of Moria, slaughtering trolls along the way. That's kind of cool. having conquered the Balrog, he now shines in the sun. So he's now Edward Cullen. So that's how he becomes Gandalf the White, just by, like, killing the Balrog? Yeah, he kills the Balrog. It doesn't even say he kills the Balrog. It just says he falls in a shallow moat and then gets out and puts on some mithril. (laughs) So, I mean, presumably he killed the Balrog because it says the Balrog was conquered. But maybe the Balrog just, like, it's like a chinchilla. If it gets wet, (laughs) it just dies. He needs a dust bath. He needs a dust bath. Yeah, exactly. Dust bath's only for Balrogs. So so, Balrog got wet in the moat and died. But why is he shiny now? Did he just, like, slather some of that Balrog juice on him or something? Actually, it is stated much later that the Balrog is made of slime, so maybe... Wait, he's made of slime? <laughs> okay, we'll get to that much oh later, Oh my I god, promise. Joanna. Alright, getting back to Minas Tirith. After the fall of Mordor, Aragorn watches the moon rise over Minas Morgul. Actually, maybe he doesn't become the king of Minas Tirith. Maybe instead he becomes lord of the newly restored Minas Ithil, which you remember was the name of the city before it became Minas Morgul. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so maybe that happens. What about Boromir? Tolkien writes, does he repent? And then later, answering his own question in the margin, no, slain by Aragorn. Oh, gosh. Yes, so Boromir apparently also should die. Oh, hey, by the way, Saruman also gets defeated at Isengard, and Isengard is then given to either the dwarves or Radagast. No indication as to why. Radagast in this version, huh? Yes. And after returning to the Shire, Frodo and Sam have to save it from industrialization, as an example of which Tolkien mentions Ted Sandyman's new cookie factory. Ted Sandyman's new cookie factory. <laughs> then Frodo and Sam sail to Greenland. <laughs> yes, Tolkien, Greenland. Tolkien, Even Christopher Wait, Tolkien knows how think, weird this is. I'm still thinking about Ted Sandyman's cookie factory. <laughs> after you prevent industrialization at the hands of an evil cookie baron, what are you going to do but sail to Greenland, Ted right? Ted Sandyman's cookie factory. Christopher Tolkien assures us that not only is cookie factory accurate, but Greenland, the word Greenland is written very clearly, no matter how improbable it may seem. Maybe he just hadn't made a, an analog for it yet. But anyway, that's what Tolkien was thinking at this point. He was thinking about cookies. Yeah, he was thinking and about how, cookies like, in Greenland. Mama makes better cookies than the factories do. Yes, absolutely. Ted Sandyman's Ted Sandyman. 
Ted Sandyman's. <laughs> it's a sexual thing. <laughs> makes pecan. Ted Sandyman's pecan Sandyman's. <laughs> rough draft this is a mixture of very good very bad and just completely inscrutable like greenland what sorry so fortunately a lot of the really outrageous elements get ironed out as tolkien starts writing in earnest the evolution of the lothlorien part of the story is essentially the evolution of galadriel and celeborn who aren't even mentioned in the earliest drafts and when they are finally introduced celeborn is initially the important one it's only in subsequent iterations that Tolkien realizes Galadriel is actually the hotness. In fact, he briefly entertained the idea of writing out Celeborn and having Galadriel rule over Karas Galaton alone, but actually also being the wife of Elrond, huh. uh, instead of his mother-in-law. Around the same time, he also entertained the idea that Saruman was a Balrog, and that the elves of Lothorian lived underground. Okay, wow. <laughs> I mean, he's, a, he's just spitballing here, right? Like, this is just... He mentions multiple times that maybe Saruman is the Balrog. <laughs> he mentions multiple times. As I mentioned, I know I'm going fast. There's a lot to get through. Uh, yeah, it's all weird. clearly. As I mentioned, when the Fellowship is introduced to Galadriel and Celeborn, it's actually Celeborn who's the big boss. And the Enchanted Mirror belongs to him. But he changed this pretty quickly, Tolkien did. And also introduced the idea that Galadriel has a ring of power. Her ring is initially called the Ring of Earth, because Lord of the Rings originally started out just like Captain Planet. <laughs> yeah. Going back to Galadriel's enchanted mirror, when Frodo looks into it, he originally sees, quote, a vast figure of a man leaning on a tree. I have no idea what this is supposed to be, and Tolkien drops it without any explanation. <laughs> I want to know more. <laughs> so, at one stage of development, Frodo was going to meet a really large man. A giant. A large man with casual posture. Huh. So, okay. Okay. Anyway, okay. It was then time to say goodbye to Lothlorien and to head on down the Anduin in some elvish boats. Galadriel gives out gifts to each member of the Fellowship, just as she does in the published version, though the gifts are a little different. So, like, for example, Gimli tells Galadriel he needs no further gift than the memory of her graciousness, because Gimli's a player. Right. But Galadriel ends up giving him her emerald brooch. And Gimli says, I will set it near my heart, and Elf Stone shall be a name of honor in my kin forever. Oh, nice. Um, this is significant because Tolkien later recycles the name Elf Stone as one of several potential names for Trotter, uh, others being Ingold and eventually Aragorn. Mm, okay. Now, Tolkien was actually pretty lukewarm on the name Aragorn for a long time. His reasoning, he writes, is that, quote, since Aragorn is a man and the common speech, especially of mortals, is represented by English, yeah. then he must not have an elvish name. Changed to Elfstone, son of Elfhelm. That obviously didn't stick, and Tolkien eventually decided it was okay for Numenorians to use elvish names. In fact, writing in the appendices, the Dunedain alone of all races of men knew and spoke an elvish tongue, for their forefathers had learned the Sindarin tongue. This they handed on to their children as a matter of lore, changing little with the passage of years. And that's how we narrowly avoided having a protagonist called Elfstone. 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 That would change things a lot, wouldn't it? I don't know if it would change things that much, but it would sound not as cool. Well, maybe opinion. if we had grown up with Elfstone as the protagonist, we'd think that Aragorn sounded dumb. Well, I guess, and also maybe if we had grown up with uh, chinchilla balrogs made of slime, that wouldn't sound dumb. That would sound normal and cool, and then a big flaming monster demon would sound like the wackest stuff ever. Maybe, maybe. Be like, hey, that's really lame. Hey, cool things are lame, and weird slime bog monsters falling into moats sounds cool. Now, regarding the journey down the River Anduin, Tolkien is pretty merciless in the number of times he changes the names of various geographic features. I am not going to note them, except for one. 
So there is a name that keeps reoccurring and refers to the confluence of the Anduin and the Entwash. And this name is the Wet Wang. And it is very unfortunate. <laughs> so, oh, what? Wet Wang. There is a part where Sam slips and falls into the Wet Wang. <laughs> no. Yes. Wet Wang. Did he think about it in any capacity? Ryan. Ryan. I know. I know. I've got, even I've... if somebody had told him. I'm not even sure. First of all, I'm not even sure if Wang was like a, a, thing, s- then. a thing then. Even if somebody had told him, you know what he would have done. He would have stubbornly insisted on using it he anyway. He would have dug his feet in and That's said, no, no, no. Does. I'll make it cool. That's what he does. Hence, Wet Wang. Now, after the journey down the Anduin, we get to the part where Boromir tries to take the ring from Frodo. I kind of already summarized what happens here. What with Sam following Gollum and Gollum doing spider incantations and all. <laughs> so yeah. from there... Sam, of course, goes to rescue Frodo, who in the earliest drafts is actually being held captive in Minas Morgul. Their plan to escape involves Frodo putting on the ring and turning invisible and Sam dressing up like an orc and acting like he runs the place. Well, he did do that a little bit. He does, kind of, right? Now, there's this delightful passage where Sam says, quote, Swagger is the only hope, Mr. Frodo, begging your pardon. (laughs) To which Frodo replies, Very well, my good Sam. Try swagger. (laughs) And then Tolkien writes, Feeling as little like Swagger as ever in his life, (laughs) Sam walked as unconcernedly as he could manage into the shadow of the dark gateway. So that's Sam confirmed for having no swag. I like that writing, though. That's funny. I know. It is funny, right? It is. I like it. He does actually manage to swagger his way pretty far Mm. before they eventually get called out. Uh, Tolkien later dithered over whether or not the hobbits should actually dress up. One alternative idea was that the elven cloaks they got from Lothlorien would allow them to change into some kind of mist and pass through the streets of Minas Morgul unseen. Tolkien also considered having it be Merry and Pippin, who have the adventure in Minas Morgul. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, he thought Sam should maybe trip over Gollum and break his leg so that Frodo has to go on alone. Oh no! <laughs> so, again, the level of disrespect towards Sam, I just cannot stomach I it. I mean, maybe he thought like, oh, he's the heart of the story. If I make him injured, it really up the stakes. But he just leaves him behind! That sucks, Frodo yeah. not do that. Never in a million no years. No way. Come off it. Now, having reached this point, Tolkien was apparently not satisfied with the trip down the Anduin and the breaking of the Fellowship because he return to those chapters again. Rather than having the Fellowship all just sort of wander off their separate ways, he came up with the idea of an orc attack that would serve to split them up. Okay, that happens. He also introduces more conflict between Aragorn and Boromir by having Aragorn be not totally sold on the idea of going to Minas Tirith. One weird thing that becomes evident at this stage and gets reiterated later on is that Tolkien's concept of the history of Middle-earth was originally a lot shorter than it would originally become. For example, like, 3,000 years passed between the death of Isildur and the rise of his descendant Aragorn, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except not originally. Originally, Isildur was Aragorn's great-grandfather. Oh, so when that's Tol- a short history. Yes. So when Tolkien writes of all the ancient ruins around the River Anduin and how they're, quote, the silent wardens of a long-vanished kingdom, it's like, apparently long-vanished means like 90 years. And everybody's forgotten all about it. Well, people had shorter lives in the Middle Ages, No, right? they don't. They they all live insanely long. Aragorn <laughs> is 87 when this story yeah. is taking place. Elrond's like two bajillion whatever. Sure. So later, also, when Tolkien writes about Rohan, he says there have only been seven kings and Rohan has only existed for like 200 years. Huh. So the sense of chronological scale is just so much less in these early drafts. And Christopher Tolkien, like, Loki drags his dad for it, too. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> anywho, around this time, Tolkien decided that Boromir had to die. 
not getting killed by Aragorn, though. Yeah. Originally, though Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli gave him his burial at sea, or at river, as it were, they, they don't sing a lament for him like they do in the published book. They just watch the boat float away, then turn around and are like, so anyway. <laughs> and that's how Boromir pieces out. Well, he was kind of a baddie at the end, right? Like- Only at the very end, and none of them actually saw it. Mm. So you would think all the memories of him be would be good, right? positive. Yeah. Also, he apologized... To Aragorn as he was dying. As he lay dying, and with like, all the arrows sticking He died out of him. very honorably defending Merry and Pippin. Absolutely, yeah. But apparently they don't forgive and forget, so they're just like, <laughs> to hell with ya. Sever. Sever, just sever. Um, there's also a lot of stuff about seeing eagles at this point. So, like, Aragorn sees an eagle from the top of Amonhen. Then Legolas sees eagles far away over Fanghorn Forest while he and Aragorn and Gimli are trying to rescue Merry and Pippin. And actually, both these eagle sightings survive into the published manuscript, but the original reason they were put in is that when Gandalf came back, he was just going to ride everywhere on an eagle. Oh. Yeah, okay. so Tolkien was really laying a lot of importance on these eagle sightings. Well, I thought they might have been the evil uh, Nazgul eagles. No, 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 that wasn't the intention. The intention was just that Gandalf oh. was riding everywhere on one. And later Tolkien changed it so Gandalf had just sent one of them out on, like, a scouting mission. Sure, okay. Right? But originally, the eagles had, like, a different level of importance. And at one point, Legolas gets all excited and shouts, See? See? The eagle has come again! Look! He is high, but he is coming swiftly down. Down he comes! Look! <laughs> he sounds like a kindergartner. <laughs> Talking about a fire truck. And then I saw a fire truck! Down, down it came! <laughs> so, to which Aragorn replies... Not even my eyes can see him, my good Legolas. He must be away upon the very confines of the forest. But I can see something nearer at hand and more urgent. I.e. enough about the eagles, Legolas, Jesus. Come on, keep your eyes on the road, kid. That is like totally how you would distract a kid who wouldn't shut up about eagles. Now, at this point, they try to track down Merry and Pippin. And as they do so, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli run into the riders of Rohan, led by Aomer. This is not terribly dissimilar from the incident as it unfolds in the published book, except Grima Wormtongue doesn't exist yet. So there's no subplot about Theoden being enchanted and misled into hating Gandalf. However, he does hate Gandalf. Why? He just, like, hates him naturally. Because Gandalf always tells him stuff he ain't trying to hear. Because he's just, he's just honest. He's, you know, just, he's not being mean, he's just being honest. Yeah. Like, Theoden, look, nobody else is going to be honest enough to tell you this. But that leather gherkin makes you look really washed out. And I know it sounds kind of me. I just thought you would want to know. Everybody's been talking about it. Yeah. And like your skincare routine, it's like gone off. You're like all white and pale and dusty. Like, like who's dusty? Who Like, how do you even make yourself dusty? I have no idea. Just, just being so honest. Know, just know. being honest. I thought you might like sit You down. might want to dust yourself. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. So, meanwhile, Merry and Pippin encounter Treebeard. Tolkien initially has some very interesting thoughts about this character. For example, he wrote, quote, Did first Lord of the Elves make tree folk in order to or through trying to understand trees? Which hmm, sounds like an abuse of power. Well, it's an interesting twist. Maybe they did an accident with their elfish magic. I don't know, Ryan. Like, I don't understand cars, but I've never tried to solve the issue by forcing a sentient car into existence. <laughs> Pixar has. <laughs> Pixar has. That was all because Pixar didn't understand cars. Plain God. <laughs> like, the Queen's like, please let me die. <laughs> Tolkien also writes that Treebeard is, quote, in some ways rather stupid. Which is a bit judgmental. I mean, you he's, made him, dude. You don't have to drag him like that. There's different levels of intelligence. He's just Maybe he's not like a linguist like you, Tolkien, but he knows more about the forest, I bet. I he knows the patterns of the woodpeckers and the, the movements of the winds. He's known trees from nut and acorn. Can you say that, Tolkien? I don't think he can say that. 
Furthermore, Tolkien explains that, quote, as usually with me, the ends grew rather out of their name than the other way around. I have always felt that something ought to be done about the peculiar Anglo-Saxon word end for giant or mighty person of long ago. First of all, it's not terribly surprising that Tolkien tended to think up names first and character traits second. Mm -hmm. But also I like the phrasing, something ought to be done about this word. (laughs) You can do it, Tolkien. Can't I just go back in time and like, Stop this word from being yeah. said. Like, we gotta do something about <laughs> this word. Um, Treebeard gives Mary and Pippin a big info dump on Ents, the Old Forest, etc. He also dumps on Tom Bombadil saying, quote, He understands trees right enough, but he is not an Ent. He never made anything go wrong, but he never cured anything either. Which is actually entirely true if you think about I mean, it. Like, yeah, I don't, in I a think... way, Tom Bombadil kind of sucks. He's like those people on Twitter who like, I speak for for people of color. I'm like, you know, they're like a white lady. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Oh, you mean like hashtag resistance? Yeah, exactly, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all these like people of color are like, stop, stop, stop. Tom Bombadil is total hashtag resistance. He is hashtag resistance. He is, he is. Now, on an entirely different note, Treebeard apparently sleeps in a bed. Really? I thought he just would stand and like put his roots down. <laughs> Pretty much anybody would think that, Ryan. But no, in the earliest draft, he sleeps in a bed. And he also says he thinks better lying down. That's a really big bed. Um, yes, it is. Why a tree needs to sleep in a bed, I do not know. But anyway, after Treebeard is done dishing on Tom Bombadil, Mary and Pippin try to tell him their own story, but unfortunately Treebeard doesn't give a crap about anything that's not related to Forrest, so that's the only part he pays attention to. Um, he then starts ranting about Saruman, and at this point, Tolkien decided that Treebeard's role would be to attack Saruman and destroy Isengard. Originally, he was going to have Treebeard fight at Minas Tirith, which, like, I don't know why the ants would hit them fighting Isengard is more like poetic and more thematic with his whole idea of like anti-industrialization yeah it makes more sense like nature literally shutting down an orc factory like that's that's great yeah it makes sense that he would have a bone to pick with with Isengard he wouldn't so much have a bone to pick I mean like yeah Sauron's bad news for him but I, I, I feel like if he only cares about the forest it's in character for him to only care about the immediate threat which is this industrialized orc machine that's exactly how I feel so yeah Speaking of which, now I have to try and remember it, but there's there's this very interesting side note that Tolkien writes at one point that Orthanc, right? So the name of Saruman's tower in Elvish means like spike on a hill or something like that. But in Rohiric means machine. Oh, okay. I, I thought that was very interesting and cool. I thought it meant orc tank. <laughs> like a tank where orcs come maybe from. Maybe in some language it does. Yeah, maybe in some okay. language it does. But anyway, like I thought that was very cool. Or thank the orc tank. It makes sense. Anyway, at this point, Tolkien decided to write some more notes for himself, which I think can be summed up with the phrase, quote, wizards equals angels. Well, he figured that out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, this was an actual phrase he wrote. Uh, he thought that by being reborn as Gandalf the White, Gandalf had acquired the same terrible power of the ring rates only on the good side. He also thought Gandalf should, quote, have a trial of strength with Saruman. Could the Balrog of the bridge, in fact, be Saruman? Or better, Saruman is very affable. So wait, at this wait. Stage, <laughs> at this stage, Saruman was either going to be a Balrog or just a really friendly dude. Tolkien hadn't decided. But he's going to have a feat of a battle of strength with Gandalf. Yeah, they're going to arm wrestle. Okay. Um, but so be really nice about he's it. He's going to be really affable about it. Though. Or be a big oh, underground. Good show. You did your best. Or a big hell monster. Yeah, either way. Okay. It could go either way, to be honest. Um, regardless, this is where Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli met Gandalf the White. Gandalf's story about how he survived the fall from the bridge changes a few times. As I mentioned earlier, at one point, the chasm below the bridge was just going to be like a shallow moat. 
This later changes to the chasm being so deep that, quote, no plummet ever found the bottom. So quite a change around there. The details of Gandalf's fight with the Balrog changed too. So for example, at one point, Gandalf talks about how the Balrog's fire went out and it turned out it was made of slime under there. <laughs> All right. Um, and the- <laughs> did they use the word slime directly? Yes. Oh my God. Yes, they did use the word slime. At another point, Gandalf says he sank his teeth into the Balrog's heel and tasted venom. <sighs> Wait. Yeah. Gandalf, Gandalf bit the Balrog. He bit Balrog. the Balrog like a hound dog, he says. But he, he sank his teeth in and there was venom in there. He's a wizard. He doesn't need to bite it anybody. It was a ball of slime with venom inside and Gandalf bit his foot. He took a bit out of it. He took a bite out of it. He took a bite out of crime. I don't know why, though. Like a hound dog. That's like, how he defeated it. Like Scruff it. McGruff, but like... Yeah, exactly. So it is either slime or it is venom or some weird combination of the two. But anyway, so... He defeated the Balrog, is what we're trying Can't to say. Can't say I understand the choices, but, you know. No, nor can anyone. Now, Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli then head off to Edoras to meet King Theoden. And as mentioned above, King Theoden was not originally enchanted by Saruman slash Wormtongue. He was just really salty toward Gandalf in general. In fact, he and his court are so salty that when Gandalf and co. come in, they originally talk in Rohiric, a.k.a. Old English, even though they totally know the common speech. So Tolkien just writes a straight-up paragraph in Old English and, like, does not define it at so, all. Also having some, uh, you know, some, some aggression toward the reader as well then, huh? I think, yeah. I think, just, yeah, exactly. Just as King Theoden feels a lot of passive aggression towards Gandalf, Tolkien is feeling a lot of passive aggression toward the reader. So <laughs> when... Gandalf and co. first enter the Great Hall, I guess simultaneously, everybody in there says, Which translates as, Who are ye, friends or foes, that have come thus strangely clad, riding to the gates of this town? And yes, Tolkien was initially extra enough to use Thorn instead of TH cool guy (laughs) thanks Tolkien extra in the most specific ways now Wormtongue is not in the first draft of this chapter but you know who is uh no Eowyn oh you know who else is Eomer Theoden's daughter Itis 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 remember Itis Vaguely. No, you don't, because she was only in one draft. Okay, I thought I might have been thinking of another person. You're probably thinking of Idril. Oh, Idril, yeah. Yes. If you weren't aware that Theoden had a daughter, that's because she never speaks, never does anything, and gets written out almost immediately. Economy of characters. Yeah, in fact, Theoden repeatedly, like, disses Idis by having Eowyn, his niece, perform all the ceremonial things that his daughter should be performing. Like, he just forgets Idis exists. As does everybody else, including Tolkien. So, Idis goes away. Eowyn sticks around, though, and actually, in these early drafts, her feelings for Aragorn are very much requited. Oh, really? Yes. Like, Tolkien originally intended for her and Aragorn to get married. Is Arwen not a thing in this version? She is not a thing yet. Oh, okay. Um, but then Tolkien decided, no, Aragorn is too old and lordly and grim, and Eowyn is, quote, a stern Amazon woman. <laughs> but then he thought, well, maybe Eowyn will die to avenge Theoden, and Aragorn is so in love with her that he never marries after her death. Yeah, so those were his thoughts originally. Eowyn was going to be the love interest. And gonna kill her and gonna kill i mean he was gonna kill everybody (laughs) as you've seen it's like a running trend yeah anyway that's the treason of isengard wow so we continue is there another book in this series of course there's another book in this series what do you think there's not that much of the story left though right like there's i mean there's all of return of the king yeah i guess so let me see what comes after the treason of isengard 
After the treason of Isengard comes the War of the Ring, the history of Lord of the Rings Part 3, the history of Middle-earth Volume 8. Gee whiz, is that the last one? Could be. (laughs) (laughs) Could be, let's see. I believe so, because the next volume of the history of Middle-earth is Morgoth's Ring, which documents the writing of the Silmarillion. So yes, the War of the Ring is going to be the last of these histories. So eventually in the future, we will cover that. Okay, cool. But I need long breaks in between these because, as you can tell, they are very, very dense. Yeah, you read that whole long, 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 long book in a matter of 450 weeks. pages. Yes, 450 like, pages. Like two weeks, yeah. So good job, John. And a lot of it was just like, this hill used to be called this. Then it was changed to this. Then it was changed to that. But then he went back to this. Give me the Cliff's Notes, Christopher. There was also like a really good Cliffs, chapter. Chris- Cliffstifer. The, the Cliffstifer. <laughs> Give me the Chris notes, Cliffstifer. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I have. What do you got? Well, something very timely. Let's, let's play a quick song to get us in the mood here. You know what time it is, Joanna. Sports time! Yeah, you know, the big game's coming up. Oh and man, Super Bowl 79. The Nice. Between the, the Patriots... And those guys that aren't the Patriots. And the Patriots are definitely not going to win. It's time for the big game. That's right. I love sports. You love sports, Joanna. We're talking about some sports today. Let's get ready to rumble. That's right. You know, because I love sports. That's why we're talking about this on time and not a week late. You know, it's all about the big game and the ball and the pigskin and the, and the lights on the field and the clear eyes strong hearts can't lose sports so i looked up some star wars sports last week we talked about pod racing we've talked about you know swoop racing a little bit oh yeah you remember last jedi there was like those space horse races we know about like the race and sports what about the other sports in star wars right there are other sports in star wars i was learned something this like, week like what basketball more weird than that, Joanna. These are sports that are sci-fi. You want to be able to tell what inspired them. So I want to go through some of the most favoritest of sports in the Star Wars galaxy, besides the racing ones. These are like the ball sports. Sports supposed to involve balls. Okay, so you said they're not going to have anything to do with modern sports, but I'm going to try and, and think of what the closest equivalent is anyway. I'm going to challenge myself. Well, strap in, put on your cleats, get out on the field, do your stretches, because I'm going to start talking about some games. All right, throw me some slap shots. So first off, Joanna. Smash ball! I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. What does it entail? Smash ball! I can't make that kind of commitment until you tell me more details. A violent and popular ball game. Violent and popular, all right? So far, I'm leaning towards American football. That's all we have of the rules. Um, (laughs) We just know that it was popular and extremely violent. We know that it was also played uh, by Jedi at the Jedi Academy for fun. So I'm a little bit surprised that that is in line with, like, their weird samurai code. You know what? I am too, but Qui-Gon Jinn was was well known for being good at Smash Ball. Aren't they supposed to be, like, peaceful and meditative? You know what? You think so, right? But they gotta get their aggression out somehow that doesn't involve hurting each other, you know? Mm. All those emotions out in a fun, sporting way. Why don't they just do it the way normal people do and yell at strangers in YouTube comments? Well, they didn't- this was a long time ago. They didn't have YouTube back then. They had the Holonet. They didn't have, like, Holotube. They had Smash Ball, baby. All right. Qui-Gon Jinn was quoted as saying, It's always easy to win when you play Master Dooku. 
You imagine those two guys facing off oh in the Smash god. Ball court? Oh my god, no, because Count Dooku's old. Well, they're both old, but you know, like, you know. They're way too old to be playing a violent sport. They're definitely going to blow out their knees. But they are rivals they're of gonna, Smash Ball, the Jedi Temple. They're going to tear their anterior cruciate ligaments. Outside the Jedi Temple, there were other teams, such as the, the Bell Savas Kretsch. Um? The Corellian Dreadnoughts. Cool. The Ranfixes. Uh-huh. The Skullcrackers. Okay. And the Infuriated Savages. What? Did Governor Radcliffe make up that name and give it to Pocahontas' people? <laughs> well, Han Solo had an opinion on the, that team. He said the Infuriated Savages are a bunch of panty wastes. Whoa! You know, Han Solo's a big Corellian Dreadnoughts stand, you know, so he's not going to stand for that, you know. Yeah. A bunch of panty wastes. So, the Spots Trade Chip Company regularly produced a series of Smashball trade chips along with pod racers and an attempted line of Jedi Council trade chips that was blocked by the Council. These are like their Star Wars version of baseball cards or football cards. Okay. Trade chips. Cool. Yeah, trade chips. So, it's like, you know, bubblegum cards. Yeah, at one point, like I said, they wanted to, wanted to do one of the Jedi Council, and the Jedi Council's like, no, you can't do that. You can't You can't make it about us. They're like, we're going to put in your midi-chlorian count. We're going to put how many kills you've gotten. How many <laughs> kills they've got? That definitely like, no, sounds like the way no, of Peaceful Warrior. No. Yeah. Is that Smashball? <laughs> cool. All we know is that people probably died. Yeah, that's our warm-up. Here's another sport for you. Coming at you. Shockball! Shockball? It's a Smashball Shockball? The point of Shockball was to try to stun members of the opposing team with an electrically charged ball. <laughs> oh my god! Let's not just electrocute each other on a field. The game was decided by the number of players at the end who were still conscious. God! The players who were outfitted with scoops to swing the ball and special gloves to handle the ball safely. So imagine, like, you know, Wiffle Ball has those scoops. It's like Wiffle Ball, except... It's, it's electricity lacrosse, basically. Yeah, except instead of, like, if you accidentally hit your grandma, instead of startling her slightly, you electrocute her into unconsciousness. Or, like, Jayalai. Yeah. Right? right? Teams included the Bonadam Blasters, uh-huh. the Royal Shockball Team, the Shad Furies, and the Quint Assassins. Assassins? Were they literally assassins? Well, this Did is kind of interesting. It's an interesting touch of Shockball. This, and this last name, the last team name, might be a bit more accurate than you'd think. Shortly after the Battle of Yavin, Rebel Alliance agents discovered a sinister Imperial intelligence operation. Top Shockball players were subjected to mind-controlled drugs by Imperial oh. intelligence and used as unwitting Imperial assassins and saboteurs. The Galaxy-class professional athletes proved to be deadly operatives. So, first of all, I would definitely assume that Assassins was meant to be taken incredibly literally because Star Wars is very on the nose at all times. Also, I question the wisdom of having all your top assassins be people who have been repeatedly shocked into unconsciousness because I feel like eventually you're going to have some brain damage. They're a bit more malleable, though, right? With their mind control drugs. And, like, and they're on the... They, they're know, a bit more malleable, but they also have probably mad short-term memory loss. People, well, that's even better. They don't remember what they've done. They don't, no, they sh- don't no, even remember their instructions. No guilt. <laughs> that's the other... No, no guilt, but, like, no efficacy. Yeah, maybe they write them down. I don't know. One last thing about Shockball before we move on to our next big game. Reginald Hanniper Snops III, <laughs> the son of Imperial Governor Zaphiel Snops, was an accomplished Snops. shockball player. <laughs> okay. Wait, is that just the whole sentence? That's it. So Reginald Hanniper Snops III. So this is Butch was a Rancor Dragon, except it's Reginald Hanniper Snops III. Yes. Oh, glad he was going to shock. He's my favorite shockball player. I don't yeah. know about you. I, I have I have his trade chip back home. So his dad must have uh, played it too to end up giving his son a name like that. It's beautiful. He's shocked in the head. Musical. Too many times. Next up. 
Grab ball! Grand ball? Grav ball. Oh, grav ball. Okay, so I'm going to guess that the balls float. Or they just use enhanced gravity to make them extremely heavy. You know, you're not too far off. It's also known as zone ball, and it's a sport that originated on the planet Nubia and was played in small indoor courts with teams equipped with remotely powered hover boots. Okay. Bouncing around in a three-dimensional court in an attempt to score goals. Players pushed off walls and floors and sometimes off each other for movement. The ball was held at the end of a repulsor baton that could be passed from player to player. So they have kind of like this baton they would hold that stuck to the ball, right? Grab ball had several positions. The center striker, two strikers, wing attackers, a kicker, two fullbacks, two defenders, and a keeper. Wait, like in Quidditch? Yeah, like in Quidditch. Well, except, I mean, everything except the, the keeper. The game had several different sets of rules, such as the Corellian rules, but that was kind of non-traditional. You didn't have the hover boots for that one. Okay. You're just in like a low gravity chamber. Oh, so you're just like jumping. Yeah. It was played in a 64 meter grid, which was divided into eight octets. And the Imperial Academies each had their own intramural grav ball league. Intramural? So they could play against other other Imperial Academies. Yeah. So this is a game invented by Jason Fry, who wrote a book called Servants of the Empire, Edge of the Galaxy, which is a Star Wars Rebels young adult novel. Okay. And he describes the sport of grav ball as like American football with a bit of netball and a touch of hockey. That's all he described, but he doesn't say, like, exactly how those things were incorporated into a cohesive game. Now, I imagine in Servants of the Empire, Galaxy's Edge, or whatever the heck the book is called, there's extended grav ball matches. Oh, I'm sure it's just as exciting as all the Quidditch matches. That's the best part of every Harry Potter book. Everyone now, loves those bits. Now, I love how you started out this segment by being like, these are not going to be related to, like, currently existing sports at all. And then you're like, this was a combination of American football and hockey. That was sarcasm. <laughs> All right, you ready? How how's how's this, how, how are you going? Your, your energy good? Your hydration going all right? I'm getting like, like pretty excited. Um, I took in a lot of electrolytes right before this, and I stretched my hams, so I wait, think I should be good to go. Your hams look coach, awfully stretchy. I'm ready to play. Hot ball! Hot ball! Okay, now this I'm gonna guess is gonna be extremely violent, but then again, they all have been so. They far. have been. You're right. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like a commentary on our own athletics culture. Wow. Hutball, a sport dating back to the Old Republic. It originated as a means for debtors to pay back their loans by participating in this violent sport for huts to uh, enjoy. Okay. The earliest matches were known as Ale Machisas, meaning late payoffs in Hatis. <laughs> After some time, a list of rules was finally established. But before that happened, the matches were nothing more than gladiatorial duels, which cheating and violence were highly encouraged. Yeah, I mean, I would assume. The game pitted two randomly selected teams against one another in a no-holds-barred attempt to gain possession of a ball and bring it into the opposing team's camp. Pretty simple. Yeah. You know, you get to carry the ball around. It's kind of like, it's almost kind of like capture the flag or something. Like, But of course, being a hut sport, the violence and cheating were still highly encouraged. And as such, it became known as the blood sport of kingpins. Popular teams in Arshada included the frog dogs and the rotworms. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> played in an arena called The Pit, and their games were commentated by a man named Baron Deathmark. <laughs> <laughs> Is that his birth name? <laughs> He's with the Deathmark lineage, what I guess. That's Baron Trump's middle name. <laughs> Baron Deathmark Trump? <laughs> Baron Deathmark Trump. I kind of love that. That's great. Yeah. Now, behind the scenes, this is a game you can play in the Old Republic MMORPG game. Yeah? Is it fun? It's kind of fun. It's like, you can shoot each other and pull out your lightsaber and stuff during the game. That's always fun. Yeah. Shooting each other and pulling out a sword. You can kill each other and also take the ball from them. It's kind of fun. It's cool. There's like traps and stuff in the core. There's like pits and stuff. It's cool. Oh. So that's the game. (sighs) All right. So that was Hutball. Probably the most slimy sport of this whole list. Here's another one. (laughs) 
Balo ball. Balo ball. <laughs> so literally, we're running out of like phrases to append to the word ball. So now we're just going to balo ball. It could be bolo ball. B o l o b a l l. Balo ball. That's okay. It's also known as limmy. 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 L i m m i e. What does that mean? Just a name. It's Limmy. <laughs> what does it mean? So Limmy was a popular sport on many planets, except for Coruscant, which was largely ignored. The sports journalists there didn't even really know how the rules worked. They just kind of like, didn't understand it, didn't Why like did it. Why did Coruscant sleep on Limmy? They didn't know, I don't know, man. But it was the favorite sport of Mandalorians, like okay. Boba Fett's people. They called it <laughs> Meshgoroya, which meant the beautiful game. Wow. Sport of champions, right? Wow. So here's the description of the rules. This is pretty exotic, and I'm not sure if you're able to unfollow them. Like, the people in Coruscant couldn't follow it, so maybe you're going to be like them. Well, I'm going to try, but Coruscant, like, one of the most sophisticated civilizations that ever existed, I mean, if they can't get it, what prayer do I have? Let's see if you understand this. All right. So two teams play against each other trying to score a goal. Okay? Okay. Single points are awarded for each goal. Okay, so... You want to try and score a goal, and you get a point for a goal. Okay. Actions like kicks, headers, and physical contact in the form of tackles is allowed. So you, so you, can, you can kick things, you can do Okay. All right. An offside rule also exists, and penalties are awarded for infringements. Don't, don't, don't go offside. Okay, no offsides. Okay. The game is refereed by an on-field referee and two linesmen in over two halftimes. Refs and two halves. Yeah. yeah. Here's a picture of them playing Limmy. Okay, so Limmy is soccer. <laughs> really? Limmy is soccer, and Coruscant reporters were unable to understand soccer. I mean, in fairness, like, Americans have a hard time understanding soccer. Here's so. some behind the scenes for Limmy. Like, pretty much one of the most easy-to-understand sports ever created. Limmy is meant to be a parody of the real-world sport of soccer. Oh, is it? As evidenced by their almost identical rules and the fact that both are nicknamed the Beautiful Game. <laughs> The unpopularity of Limmy on Coruscant is possibly a reference to soccer's low popularity in the U.S. in contrast to the rest of the world. I am so glad that they explained that because it was subtle. It was real subtle. I, I mean, know. once you get it, you're like, wow, that's a genius, but... The keyboard geniuses over at Wikipedia really, like, laid it out for us. I'm glad they did. Thank you, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Thank Wikipedians. you for always explaining... Things that absolutely do not need to be explained. All right. Well, now that you've wrapped your head around the complicated sport of Limmy. Nuna Ball! Nuna Ball! Why does everything have to end in balls? It's all in balls. Balls. Well, These are sports not, balls. Yeah, I guess. Okay. So here's a quote, first of all, just to kind of set the scene for Nuna Ball. It's by a guy called Lysco Buela. Lysco Buela. Yes. He says, Nuna Ball isn't at all about seeing a noisy rodent punted 60 meters. Internal research tells us that seeing droids get their head ripped off is equally as popular. <laughs> Combine that with the glamour of droid show models and oversized snacks, you've got a family outing that's hard to beat. Sorry, so you are kicking an animal around in this? Well, let me tell you about Nuna Ball. I don't know if anything's going to make it okay, but... Nuna Ball was a sport popular throughout the galaxy. It was played only by droids, a fact that displeased the Biological Athletes Union. Because obviously droids aren't camp, you know, they're, they're putting athletes out of work. They're taking our germs. Yeah. Right? The game originated as a traditional Gungan sport, where a live creature called a Nuna was used as a ball. Okay. When angered, the Nuna would inflate itself to look bigger, so it kind of puff up like a puffer fish. Right. The Nuna was then carried in the state by opposing teams toward their opponent's goal. When a game was won, the announcer would shout, Nuna! my god, that is so cruel. Here's Nunas. That is unspeakable. Why are they doing that to them? Explain what the audience with Nuna looks like. I mean, it essentially looks like a puffer fish, but with like AT-AT legs. Okay, yeah. It's kind of like a little piranha puffer fish 
chicken thing. With like a little orange butt puff. Yeah. Now, but why? That's so cruel. Like, screw that. You said the Gungans played it? It was a traditional screw sport. Screw the Gungans. I don't care that it's traditional. Bullfighting's traditional. It still sucks. Oh, mui mui. Misa love animal abuse. Sucks, Jar Jar. I'm about to abuse an animal. Okay. The sport gained popularity after the invasion of Naboo when Gungan culture started to spread throughout the galaxy. That element of Gungan culture should not have spread throughout the galaxy. After a while, droid manufacturing companies ended up using Uniball to test out their droids and do a, a, a stress test on them. Okay. To figure out what benchmarks they could perform. So you don't like this sport. You think it's pretty cruel, I right? I think it's bullcrap. So you probably agree with these guys. The Committee Against Non-Sentient Abuse raised its voice against the droid Nunaball matches. Because it was cruelty against Nunas, obviously. Yeah, duh. But that didn't slow the march of capitalism, baby. Because it became one of those popular sports in the galaxy. Sucks, man. Sucks. I hope people got, like, hurt and maimed by the Nunas. Entire leagues of specialized droid teams were founded across the galaxy. The sport became the most profitable sport in history. Oh my god. Given the low costs involved in fielding and maintaining the droid players. That is sickening. You don't gotta pay a droid to play the game. Nunas are cheap. They breed like crazy. That is sickening. Well, also, if the Nunas decide to fight back, it's droids. It's not gonna be hurt. Well, maybe... Okay. You didn't like Nuna Ball. You're probably not gonna like this one. But let's 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 gear up for this one. Gully Ball. Gully Ball is a gully also an animal. Yes. Ryan, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Let me explain. It's another Gungan sport. There's no. Oh well, if it's Gungan and it involves an animal, there's no way this is gonna end well. And you use an inflated gully pud as the ball. What the hell is a gully pud? It's a little animal. It's kind of like this. It's like a fat little frog thing. It's very cute. It was popular with the Gungans and Naboo, but never got the widespread acclaim of Nuna Ball. In the sport, Gungans would use mallets made from the branches of the Zela tree to place the gully pod in specific areas in order to score points. Place. Place. You mean strike them. Hurt them. It's kind of like... Knock them into next week. Kind of like uh, croquet or something. Yeah, but with, but with a living creature. But here's, here's a twist, though. Quite surprisingly, the gully puds enjoyed being tossed around for unknown reasons. How do you know that? How can you possibly know that they The Gungans it? just knew they were smiling about it. They were loving it. They're all such freaks. They're, They're like, uh, hit me again, daddy. Yeah, please. <laughs> Hit me right in my gully pud. So that's gully ball. I don't like it. All right. <laughs> I don't agree. Well, I have one last major sport here to tell you about. Green putt! Green putt? Green putt. So this is the only one that doesn't end in ball, but it does end in putt, so I'm guessing it's going to be golf. You're going to find it's way different than golf. Let me I'm explain it to you. It's exactly like golf. <laughs> Green putt was an individually played sport played by all kinds of beans in the galaxy. Like golf. The sport was played on a wide playing field and required each player to hit a tiny ball into a remote hole. Like golf. The game required a wide range of hitting skills to get the ball in the hole. Like golf. Okay, it's a little like golf. You know, golf is kind of like this stuffy country club sport. Yeah. There were lots of different leagues in Green Putt to, to accommodate all the different species of the galaxy. So let me list some of them for you, okay? Okay. First of all, there's a professional Green Putt Tour, the PGT, which is like, you know, your, sta <laughs> your standard. Uh, the female professional Green Putt Tour. Okay. Ladies only. Then you have, this is interesting, the asexual professional green putt tour. Wow. Wait, why do asexuals have to play in their own league? So you got the boys, you got the females, you got the asexuals. Like bees oh, that don't have either other gender. A, a gender. That's the, I mean, listen, Wikipedia is maybe a little out of date. It says asexual. <laughs> I thought it was like, if you don't feel sexual attraction, you get your own league. <laughs> There's also the not dead yet professional green putt tour. <laughs> I'm sorry? Is this Monty Python all of a sudden? They're like near dead. I think it's like the elderly green putt tour. What? What? Of all the ways for them to phrase that, why There's would they a phrase it more. not dead yet? These okay. get weirder as you go on. There's the non-limbed professional green putt tour. <laughs> the species with no limbs. It's so like little, like, larvas. Like blobs and stuff, like yeah. Blobs, okay. 
Also, the non-sentient professional green putt tour. These are like animals playing the game. If they're not sentient, then how are they playing this game? Well, there's lists of these different animals who can actually know how to understand the rules of getting the ball in the hole. But what like, would their reward be? Like, if they're non-sentient, then they're not smart enough to understand that they could get, like, a trophy or something. And they're also not smart enough to understand what that trophy would signify. So why would they even bother well, playing? Well, green putt is like golf, so they'd probably get a really cool green jacket at the end. But how would they even comprehend that that's... How would they even make the connection between this ball that I'm hitting and this green jacket? Why would they need a jacket? Listen, it's a non-sentient professional green putt tour. Are you saying that the non-sentient should not be allowed to play green putt? Are you... I'm are you saying I don't think they'll care. Joanna, I think you're gatekeeping a little bit on the sport of green putt. You're just like the elitist at the Green Putt Country Clubs, okay? Yeah, yeah. You're probably you're probably think that the PGT is the only thing that should exist. He's like, no, I think you have to have limbs to play Green Putt. I think you got to be sentient to play I Green think Putt. I, maybe I'm abuse. I think you got to be, you know, have uh, some kind of gender to play Green Putt. Listen to you. Listen to you. I think you got to be I alive actually, to play Green I Putt. Actually, I would argue that you probably have to be alive to play anything. You are such a a narrow-minded bigot, Green Putt. Okay. Okay. A few more here that didn't really have articles, but here's a here's a list of them. Um, so, other regularly practiced ball sports included high low ball, which is a sport that involved hurling a ball. <laughs> cool. So it goes high and then it goes low. Scram ball. That's a real thing. We played that. We used to play that in your mom's class. Apparently, the younglings played it in the Jedi Temple. Was it the same thing where you have to like try and grab little bean bags? That's not how scramble works. Wait, what was it? it was scrambles, you have the wristbands, and you have to throw the ball in the air. It's like a big dice. Oh, yeah. Wait, what was a beanbag thing? I don't know. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, wait. Maybe I'm thinking of cornhole. I think you're thinking of cornhole. Also known as scramble in Joanna's head. So, high-low ball, scramble, sling ball, wall ball, and football. Wait, what? Wall ball and football are actually... <laughs> Football shows up in an episode of the Clone Wars, apparently. Okay. But it's in Arabesh, the Star Wars language. It's on one of the TV screens in the background of a shot, and it says something about a football game. Okay. And eagle-eyed fans translated it and extrapolated that football is a thing. Football is a thing. Yeah. Oh, man, I was not ready for that football. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the weirdest sport of all, right? It is really weird. I mean, if you had to, you know, pick one of these sports to become, like, a huge fan of, collect all the trade chips of, what do you have a preference? Um, Smash ball, shock ball, grav ball, hut ball, limmy, nuniball, gully ball, green putt. Green putt. But I would exclusively be a fan of the non-limbed team. All right, good choice, good choice. That's the only team I care about, non-limbed. I want to say weird little amoebas playing green putt. I just want to see how they do it. Yeah, right. I just want to see how they do it. Okay. Yeah. All right, I like that's it. That's my like game it. of choice. All right, Joanna, that's all I got for you as far as Star Wars sports. Everyone, enjoy the big game. You know, I'm going to be sitting there. I'm going to have my nachos out. My, you know, I got my my beer, which definitely doesn't have any corn syrup in it because I'm a man. And the commercials are the best part. I'm in it for the commercials. I'm totally going to watch 
every single commercial and buy every single thing. And you sound exactly not like a corporate shill, Joanna. No, I'm not. I'm a I'm a social media influencer. They're, they're <laughs> distinct. They are two distinct things. I am also going to watch the halftime show. I bet it's going to blow our minds. I bet it's going to be SpongeBob related somehow. I bet we're going to see Janet Jackson's other boob this time. <laughs> Just like you saw, you saw the other one last time. So let me hear here. Here's this one. It's been a while. We need to complete the saga. <laughs> Jackson's like, this is the only way to make it end. <laughs> he takes her other boob out. I started this. Uh, I'll end oh, it. I gotta finish it. Yeah, cool. Right. Hey, by the way, Ryan. Yeah. The worst, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst name challenge. Now that's almost a bigger game than the big game itself, isn't it? I would agree. So, Joanna, in the polls last week, we had Jert. Yes. J.R.R. Tolkien's schoolyard nickname, as well as Dud Bolt. Yes. A pod racer. And turns out old Tolkien... He got the lead. Jert won? Jert is the winner this week. I was worried that people wouldn't pick it because you spelled it J-R-R-T, but in my head I always spelled like J-I-R-T, like Jert. I think think Jert is funnier with two R's. with an I was funnier. Well, maybe I'll spell it this way in the polls. I don't know. I guess, you know, I guess the people disagreed. So, all right, congratulations, Tolkien's former childhood nickname. Nice try, Deadbolt. You put up a good fight. Uh, but this week I got a new character to, to lay on you with a bad name. Yes. Now, the name itself might not seem that bad at the outset. You really need to see the picture of this guy to complete the picture. So this isn't going to be like a Master Bates situation. No, no. This is a Jedi Knight. He's a human male. His name is Shaggy. 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 Sha- Shaggy? Here's what Sha- Shaggy looks like. It's <laughs> <laughs> literally Shaggy. No, it's Shaggy. It's literally Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Shaggy. He's from the Gennady Tartakovsky Clone Wars cartoon. He's one of the guys killed by General Grievous. His name is Shaggy. Shaggy. (laughs) This is like so timely because you know there's that thing going around on the internet about how like Shaggy is this immortal god. How he's super powerful. But this is different. This is Shaggy. This is not Shaggy. No, well obviously he wasn't super powerful because he got killed. Yeah, yeah. Shaggy. (laughs) Shaggy. I like this isn't even like worst name challenge anymore this is like hey can you believe this dumb character (laughs) that's half the game for me joanna i hope you understand this it's been a running thread of like characters i think are stupid but also have bad names so (laughs) it's literally shaggy guys i like how his quote in his biography is it's all around us (laughs) we're doomed I don't know if he talks like Shaggy or says zoinks or anything, but there you go. That's my challenge of this weekend's jerk is Shaggy. Shaggy. (laughs) Vote on our Facebook or our Twitter which name you think is worse. You can also post on there if you have anything funny to say, if you find any great memes or schemes or evidence of Elon Musk around the sets of different movies or whatever. Let us know. That's fun. You can also email them to us at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. You guys can also rate us up, you know. Did you know? You can rate us up on SoundCloud or on Apple Podcasts. If you rate us up on Apple Podcasts, let us know, and we'll do something nice for you. I keep, like, validate you. I keep offering to draw you a hobwalk. I can even do one. Listen, you don't have got to be you. It's Valentine's Day this week. You got a loved one who might think that hobwalks are a funny character. Maybe they like, to, you know, maybe they, maybe they would enjoy seeing themselves as that. Radar podcast, let me know. I'll do a quick drawing of you, of your of your loved one as a hobwalk, and they're going to love you forever. Alternatively, if you don't have loved ones and or aren't interested in material goods and all you want out of this world is just some acceptance, I will call you up and tell you that you're a good boy or a good girl or just a good person. All right, then, guys. Until next week. Thanks. Bye. bye. bye.